Psalm 110 on page 613. Of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you that your word gives light. We ask that we would receive light from your word tonight. We ask, please, that you would help us to see more of just the greatness of Jesus, to see that he is ruling just now in the world, that he is the priest that we need. Help us, please, to trust him more in the struggles of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, a friend a few years ago said to me, life is war. And at the time, I'm not sure I completely got it. But a few years on, I think I'm starting to get what he meant. Because it describes something of the struggle that we feel day by day, year by year, going through life. Living in a world which is great in so many ways, but which we know it, there's just, it's spoiled. It's not quite right. It is uh, not the way it should be. We're living in a world spoiled by suffering, evil, and injustice. We just have to look at the, the newspaper headlines, the TV headlines to get a feel for that on a global scale. That's not even before we start to look at situations that we're part of, where, where struggle is very obvious and real, and pain comes close to us. Um, I wonder, just in the room tonight, um, where we might be feeling the struggle just now. If you're not feeling the struggle, I'm very pleased for you, and I'm hoping that this sermon will then help uh, at another time when you start to feel the struggle, or maybe when you're alongside someone else who is feeling the struggle of life. Just in the room here, different ages, uh, situations that we're part of. I wonder what it is that um, causes some pain or some tears, uh, anxiety or frustration for you. Um, maybe uh, something that is an uncertain situation, maybe something to do with relationships that are just hard, um, situations where it just feels hopeless. Um, I have no doubt that many of us can relate to this. And in, in the book of Psalms, we're, we're introduced to, to many enemies of God's people. 
um, sin, sickness, opposition, suffering. These are big themes in the book of Psalms, but we're also introduced to the idea of a person who is the solution to the problem of all these things. A, a great king. And as we go through the Psalms, as we journey through, we find out more about this king. And um, possibly the most we find comes in tonight's Psalm, Psalm 110, and, and uh, leads to great praise following on after this psalm. Um, psalm 110 was given uh, at this point in, in the book of Psalms to, to sound a triumphant note, a triumphant note. If I was musical, maybe I could tell you what that sounds like. I'm not. But the words of the psalm speak of triumph in order to strengthen God's people, to strengthen God's people who are in the struggle. Originally, those who um, had experienced the exile, separation from their land and uh, cast out to other places by their God, um, they were living and facing what you might call puny circumstances in life. They didn't feel as if they were on the winning side, despite believing what they believed about their God. Um, they were feeling the struggle, and Psalm 110, this triumphant note, is given to strengthen them uh, and to keep them anticipating that God's promised king is going to come. And in Psalm 110, we have a portrait of the promised king, and we're going to look at it in, in two parts. Um, and and the, there's a pattern to these parts uh, that I've, I think I can see and I've convinced myself of and I'm sticking with for tonight. Hopefully that will help be clear. There's, a a declar there's two declarations, one in verse 1 and then one in verse 4. W things that God has said. Um, so verse 1, the Lord says. And then in verse 4, the Lord has sworn. And then next to these verses, so that's verses 2 and 3, and then 5 and 7, there are some implications spelt out by the writer of the psalm. The writer of the psalm is King David, who was the great king of Israel. And in verse 1, it starts in, in what could be a little bit of a confusing way, because it says, Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, but you'll notice if you look down at verse 1, the first Lord is in capital letters, the second Lord is not. And, and that's to convey um, what the words mean in the original Hebrew language. The first Lord is, is the word Yahweh, which um, uh, is God, the God of Israel. In the Psalms, he's the creator of everything, and he's the, the one who rescues his people. Um, so the, the Lord, God, says to my Lord, now remember, my Lord, it's David, who is talking about his Lord. And, and David is, 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 is saying, my Lord, and that word is Adonai, so it's like a sovereign king or master. So David is listening into a conversation at the start here. He's overhearing what Yahweh said to his king. All right? Confused or still with me? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Um, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
in this first part, we're meeting um, David's Lord, and we're understanding that he is God's chosen king, enthroned beside God, sitting with God at his right hand, sitting there now, but waiting until, did you see that in verse 1? Until something happens, until his enemies are made a footstool, footstool for his feet. So he's enthroned now beside God, but one day he will be revealed as utterly victorious. And then in verses 2 to 3, we read what the Lord will do for David's Lord, for this king who is now enthroned. Verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the, morning, the morning's womb. So in these verses, what's being described is, is that the rule of the one who is enthroned, sitting at the right hand of God, his rule is being extended. It's growing in power and influence, and it's growing in the midst of his enemies. So his enemies are still active, but he is ruling. And this king, when he comes to the battlefield on the day of your battle, many will be willing and will rally round him. They will be willing to be led by him. Remember, this has been given to focus God's people on the greatness of God's promised king. The rest of the Bible helps us understand more about the, identify, identify, the identity of the one who, Jesus, who, who David refers to as my Lord. Jesus explains these verses are written by David, spoken by David about, he says, the Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen king. And, and when Jesus' disciples start to, to preach the good news about Jesus after his death and resurrection, they say these verses are about Jesus. He is the one enthroned in heaven. Following his death and resurrection, he's ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God. And there he is ruling and one day returning. So how does this help us in life today? Remember, for them then, it was a word to strengthen, their, uh, strengthen them in their struggle, to keep them anticipating how great it will be when this uh, mighty king comes. Um, for us now, it works in a similar way. When we see our enemies suffering, sin, opposition, when we feel the struggle, we are to know that our king is ruling and one day returning. He's ruling even although the, the, there are enemies still active. So it leaves, it means that we are not hopeless because of this great king enthroned. I'm trying to think of an illustration that would work to help us understand where we are just now in this whole story. And uh, my mind went back to watching a, a team winning a great victory. Um, it, it was England, 
and they were winning the World Cup at rugby. And uh, I was happy because my friends were happy and I was watching it with my friends. And there was that moment when the final whistle went and uh, they had won. But there was then to be a gap before the presentation of the trophy, before they took possession of the trophy. But in that gap, the supporters, those who were on the same side as that team, they were on the winning side. The victory was won even although the final presentation had to come. Um, we are thinking about being in that gap now if we are following Jesus. He has won the victory for his people. He is enthroned, but he will one day return to take possession of everything. And we'll see more of that in the second half of the psalm. So Christians today, followers of Jesus, live in a time of waiting. The work of Christ is finished. He is yet to be revealed as Lord of all. Um, we wait for his return, but we must do that trusting that he rules in the midst of his enemies, that he is ruling just now. You see, some people look at the world and they see evil and justice suffering and conclude there is no God, no one ruling. Um, and even Christians might because of the weariness that comes with seeing maybe so many situations affected by sin, we may start to think a little bit like that and feel hopeless in our struggles. I think this helps us to be realistic about life now that we continue to live in the presence of sin. Our, the situations we're part of have been touched by sin and we ourselves still sin. Satan, Jesus' enemy, the enemy of his people, is defeated through Jesus' death on the cross, but he is still fighting on. And so in our struggle, we may feel that things are out of our control, but that doesn't mean they're out of control. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so easy to think this is beyond me. It's out of my control and despair. But actually, just because things are out of our control, it doesn't mean that things are out of control. And this line in this psalm in verse 2 is saying that God's great king is ruling in the midst of your enemies, and so there is hope in the struggle. Come back then to those struggles that we are part of, situations spoiled by sin. We can say, if we're with Jesus, that our king has won. When he came and died on the cross, um, our greatest battle has been won for us. Sin, death, condemnation, the devil, separation from God. He's won the victory. In his first coming, this great king has won forgiveness for his people.
and he will return. He will return to take possession of everything. But in the gap, we are on the winning side and he is ruling now. And our king is powerful, all powerful, and he is all good. We can't say why things are happening, but because of what we know about our king, that he is ruling, all powerful, and all good, you can trust him in the struggle. You can trust him in the struggle, and, and secondly, we can look forward to his return. The second declaration is one that would be incredibly surprising. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's the second declaration. And then what follows seems to be in some ways a continuation in a building. It's a promise of what will come when the Lord when the king who is enthroned now returns, verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so will lift up his head high. It's basically saying that the king who is enthroned is going to return and smash it. All opposition in triumph, total triumph. But the declaration is, is that this king who will be victorious is also a priest. And verse 4 says he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Now this idea of a priest in the order of Melchizedek is a brand new way of doing things. Because previously the office of king and priest was always separate. But now there is going to be a king who is also the priest. Now, to read up on Melchizedek, you need to go back to Genesis 14, where he's first mentioned, when he meets Abraham after a great battle. He is, just appears from Jerusalem, king of Jerusalem and uh, king of righteousness. And uh, Abraham pays homage to him, and this great king blesses uh, this great king priest blesses Abraham. And then he drops out of view as you're going through the Bible. And then he appears again in Psalm 110. And then the other place that we learn more about Melchizedek is in the New Testament in Hebrews 7. And we'll look at that briefly before we finish. But what we're being told here is this priest king is like Melchizedek. We'll think more about why. That is such good news. He will be the priest forever, verse 4 says. God has sworn and will not change his mind. So to know this priest and to be with this priest is good because he's also the king who will crush and judge all opposition. Verses 5 to 7 talk of a future day when the king priest, the priest king will return. A promise of his coming when he will be triumphant. He will crush and shatter 
other kings from all nations. It will be, the success of his battle will be worldwide. The priest king will establish justice over God's enemies once and for all. It's speaking of a future day coming when all wrongs will be put to right. Now let me say that again, all wrongs will be put right. It's speaking of a day of justice. Of course, when we see day of wrath, we wince a little. But surely it's a good thing that's being described here. Surely it's what our friends and the world wants and needs and longs for. Wrongs righted, justice done, evil gone, sin dealt with, sufferings no more. It, it is beyond imagining. No more injustice, racism gone, discrimination gone, poverty gone, illness gone, tragedies gone because of this king's triumph. And his triumph will mean judgment for his enemies. That is what these verses are making clear. How though can anyone be saved from this judgment? A judgment described in the, in, in the creeds that will be a judgment of the living and the dead? Well, the answer is going back to verse 4. God has sent a priest. God has sent a priest. You see, the job of the priest was to represent us to God. Someone to represent sinners to God. And Jesus is the fulfillment of verse 4. Let me show you what it says in Hebrews. Flick forward um, with me. Let me give you a page number. 1206. And there you'll find Hebrews chapter 7. And we hear more about what it means for, for Jesus to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So page 1206. In Hebrews 7, we read about the old priesthood, those who were part of the tribe of Levi, and how Jesus is part of this new priesthood, the order of Melchizedek, that he is the one that Psalm 110 is talking about. So verse 23, now there have been many of those priests, the old priests of the tribe of Levi, always changing. Why? Since death prevented them from continuing in office, they always needed a new priest. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. We needed a new priesthood 
and we've been given one. In in summary, Jesus is a priest unlike any other priest. He will never die and will never have to offer sacrifice for his own sin. Instead, Jesus, the priest, has himself been the sacrifice for our sins. A picture to take, to, to understand the job of the priest and what he achieves I wonder if you've ever been out for a meal and you've heard the good news as you've gone to pay that someone else has paid for your meal. I love that. The waiter says it's already been paid. Someone else has covered it. Well, as we, trusting in Jesus, confess sins to God through Jesus, he assures us that They have already been paid for on the cross where our priest offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. God's chosen priest is the perfect permanent priest, exactly what we sinners need. So what must we do? Well, firstly, here's what we must not do in the struggle. We must not turn to other priests to, to, to the, pre- the priest of self-help, of, of pulling up our socks and doing the best we can and sorting ourselves out, trying to save ourselves. Or in our struggle, we mustn't blame others. Or we mustn't turn to the coping mechanisms, the things we buy to help us get through, the things we taste and watch and love, which are little idols that promise to deliver but cannot save. No, in in the struggle, what we must do is, is use the words of Psalm 110, what it tells us about Jesus, to keep knowing that we don't want to give up on him, to anticipate the return of the priest king, that he is coming back. Because waiting for him means trusting him today. As we live um, sin-affected lives in this sin-affected world. So in our struggles, think of those struggles in our situations. We want to keep trusting Jesus is ruling. And where we see our sin We want to keep trusting Jesus as our priest. The struggle means waiting now is hard, but he is worthy of all our trust. Let's pray. Father, please would you help us to see our need um, of Jesus. If we're not yet trusting him, please would you help us to know that one day we will face him. And we do not want to be facing him as an enemy.
We thank you that though he is the conquering king, he is also the faithful priest who can save his people completely. So please, would you help us if we do not yet know him to know more of his greatness and to come to him in surrender. And Father, for uh, living with him, knowing him, help us not to give up on him as we face struggles now to know that he is ruling, he is worthy of our trust. As we see our sin, to know that he is the great priest that we need and to trust him. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.